0: Are you aware there are 59 occurrences of the phrase one another in the New Testament? As we've been learning in our one another series, we're called to care for and be united with one another. Last weekend, our focus was on accepting one another. It's not our job to change other people. Instead, we're called to accept those who are wired differently than we are. Self-centeredness is the deadly enemy of all the one another statements. The attitude we should have toward people, according to John Stott, is not, I'm better than you and I'll prove it, or you're better than me and I resent it, but you are a person of importance in your own right, and it is my joy and privilege to serve you. Welcome to On Mission, the preaching ministry of Edgewood Baptist Church in Rock Island. When we gather together, we meet on 38th Street, and when we're scattered, we strive to live on mission all over the Quad Cities area. Someone once said, Be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. Today, our emphasis is on how we can carry each other's burdens from Galatians 6, 1-5. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Here's our main idea. We show we care when we bear one another's burdens.
1: How many of you remember the TV commercial from the late 80s, early 90s, It showed an elderly woman lying on the floor, shouting out, help me, I've fallen and I can't get up. How many of you remember that? You've just dated yourselves. (laughs) Well, that catchphrase has become part of our vocabulary, but it's not very funny for those who faltered, for those who have fallen, and for those who feel forgotten. One of the many challenges during COVID-19 has been the number of people who have either relapsed back into drugs or alcohol or lapsed spiritually. And some today don't even know how they're going to make it through another day. According to the Census Bureau's Household Pulse Survey released just this last month, the pandemic has created new barriers for people suffering from mental illness and substance abuse. Over the past 12 months, 4 in 10 adults, 40% in the United States, have reported symptoms of anxiety or depression. And that's up from 1 in 10 Adults who reported these symptoms from January to June of 2019. Young adults are being hit the hardest. According to this study, 56% of 18 to 24-year-olds have experienced an increased amount of anxiety, depression, sleep disruptions, and thoughts of suicide. That compares to just 29% of those 65 and over who've experienced these struggles. Well, we're continuing in our series that we're calling One Another. And so far, we've learned that we're to care for one another. We're to be united with one another. We're to accept one another. Next weekend, our topic will be bearing with one another. Which means how do we put up with people, right? And After Easter, we're going to begin a series on the Ten Commandments that we're calling Written in Stone. Today, our emphasis is on how we can carry each other's burdens. We're going to be in the first five verses of the book of Galatians, chapter 6. Go ahead and open your Bible to that. And as you're doing that or using your mobile app, let's stand and let's read God's Word together. We like to remind ourselves that this is no ordinary book, is it? No, this book is alive, it's active, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, it can discern our thoughts, our intentions, our motives, can affect and change our attitude, our actions all for his glory. God's word is inspired, it's inerrant, and it's authoritative, so we come under it right now. Let's read together. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. You can be seated. Now, before we tackle our text, let's set the context. It's always helpful to know what comes before the passage we're looking at. So just go back one chapter, Galatians chapter 5, verse 15. Things aren't going so well for the church. But if you bite and devour one another... Watch out that you're not consumed by one another. And then just look at the last verse of Galatians chapter 5. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. That word provoke means challenging someone to a contest. And so whether we whack away at the weak or we're overcome with envy, Toward those we think are better than us. The problem is we're too caught up with ourselves. There are 59 different one another statements in the New Testament. And maybe not too surprisingly, the number one statement, one another statement, used 13 different times is this one. Love one another. It undergirds all the other one another statements and for God to repeat it 13 times, it must mean it's important. You see, self-centeredness is the deadly enemy of all of the one another statements. The attitude we should have toward people, according to John Stott, is not, I'm better than you and I'm going to prove it, or you're better than me and I resent it. But you are a person of importance in your own right. And it's my joy and privilege to serve you. Here's our main idea. We show we care when we bear one another's burdens. I see four relationship responsibilities in this passage. Let's start by looking at the first one. It comes right from verse 1. Restore the broken. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, well, you should restore him. It tells us how in a spirit of gentleness, and then we're given a warning, but keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. One paraphrase says it like this. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him, saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. Paul refers to his readers as brothers. In the Greek, it's the word that means from the same womb. If you're born again, you and I are brothers and sisters, we're part of the same family. The use of the word if here helps us think through something that's. Hypothetical, if this were to happen, we're to be ready to restore the broken when it happens. The word caught was used to describe a bird or an animal which had become entangled in a trap. So a believer who's caught in sin is one who's been surprised or suddenly entrapped and there's no hope of escape. Here's the picture, it's a picture of a brother or sister who's been caught red-handed in sin, much like the woman who was caught in adultery in John chapter 8. In verse 1, the word transgression is translated trespass, which carries the idea of stumbling or being on a very slippery path, sliding off the path, you find yourself in a ditch and you can't get out. It's also the idea of crossing a line. If this is a line, it's crossing over the line. Would you note, this refers to any transgression, the big ones and the small ones. Beth and I served as missionaries in Mexico City for three years, and we thought as a team, there were others on our team, we thought it would be good to do some team building together, so we went bowling (laughs) And at the beginning of our time together, it was a lot of fun. a lot of laughter. We're getting out of, our day, of of our routine, and we're just having fun. And I was having a good time until Beth started throwing strikes. You know, your score's up there for everybody to see. And I'm like, "This is no longer fun." So I put on my game face, and I'm like, "I can't let her beat me in front of all of my friends. So I remember picking up a ball, and I line up way back from the line, and I'm crouched down, and there's no smile on my face. It's just me and those 10 pins, and this ball is going to knock them down. I wind up, and I throw the ball, only it doesn't let go of my hand. (laughs) And I did a swan dive. I crossed the line, and they must have just oiled that lane because I just went flying Down that lane. I have never heard Beth laugh so hard in her life. I had never heard before or since. In fact, when we bring it up, I I said, Beth, I'm going to use this story today. She started laughing again. (laughs) So here I am, lying in the gutter while they're all guffawing. I had defaulted, I had crossed the line. And no one helped me back up because they're all on the floor laughing. Now, that's similar to what Paul is referring to here. A believer, for one reason or another, is suddenly tripped up by his trespasses and he's flat on his face and everybody can see it. A good example of that, maybe not a good example, but one we would know is Peter. Peter's like, Jesus, I got you. I'm with you. I'll never leave you. And he ends up denying Christ three times in a row. The best equipped person to help a fallen believer, would you note, is one who is spiritual. I guess none of the other missionaries on our team were qualified because no one even offered to help me up. Now, let's go back to chapter 5. Let's see what spiritual is. Well, look at verse 16. A spiritual person is one who walks by the Spirit. Verse 22, one who is filled with the Spirit. And verse 25, one who keeps in step with the Spirit. So to be spiritual, it's not referring to this like mystical spirituality, like this hyper-spiritual person. No, it's referring to the normal, spirit-filled Christian. Do you know you don't have to be a super saint to help other people? Spiritual people are ordinary people relying on an extraordinary God. The word you here is plural, emphasizing it's the obligation of the church body to reach out and to help a battered believer. And the fallen one is in need of restoration. That word restore is a present imperative, indicating this should be our common practice, something we're in the habit of doing. It literally means to make something right by bringing it back to its former condition. This word was used of somebody who broke their arm and their arm was set. Was also used for fishermen mending their nets. Why did they mend the nets? Because they weren't working right. They had to fix them before they could go back fishing Restoration is an integral and necessary part of the healing process. So if people experience dislocation, brokenness, they've been torn apart and torn up by transgression, they need someone to come alongside and lift them up. It's interesting. First Corinthians 5.2, it says, The church is to remove an unrepentant sinner. Matthew 18, 15, the Christian is to reprove the offending sinner. However, in our text here, we're to restore the stuck sinner. You know, a terrible event happened this week, and and I don't presume to know all the details or to be an expert on this. Not all the facts are in, but we do know that a young man murdered Eight people in three different locations in Atlanta. Now, other details have come out, and there'll probably be more. But this crime against eight people made in the image of God was related to addiction, pornography, and temptation. Now, let's just set that aside. I, I don't want to address those elements here. But here's what I do want to address. That young man was a member of a Baptist church. It makes me wonder that those who knew him, those who sat with him, I don't know if he was still going, but I know he was baptized there and he was a member there. I wonder if those who knew him or know him are wishing now they would have done more to equip, to challenge, to encourage, to confront, to carry his burdens. It also makes me wonder if we're doing enough to make godly disciples who make disciples. I read a post from Christianity Today on Thursday. Here's the headline. Atlanta shooters' church ties raise questions for pastors. Jason Dees concludes the post this way. Quote, for all Christian leaders, the tragic events in Atlanta this week should reawaken us and lead us to a deeper commitment to know our people, to disciple our people, and to preach the gospel clearly and faithfully to our people for the sake of their souls and ultimately so that Jesus might rightly receive the glory due his name. You know, God asks his people to seek those who are straying In Ezekiel chapter 34, he holds the leaders responsible to do that, and they don't do it. And so this is what we read, verse 16, words of God, I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. Since God works to bring sinners to wholeness, we should seek ways to do the same. Brothers and sisters, if we're not actively looking for ways to bring back those who have been spiritually sidetracked, how will they get back on their feet? Let me personalize it. Who does God want to restore through you? Is there anyone you can think of right now who's going down a very slippery path of sin? Listen to Jude 22 and 23, and have mercy, that's so tender, mercy on those who doubt. Look at the next phrase, save others by snatching them out of the fire. I'm challenged and comforted by James 5, 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you, he's writing to a church, wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Straying believers need spiritual believers who will come alongside and mend them. And the process, would you observe, must be done with gentleness. Gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit, King James uses the word meekly, has the idea of doing something quietly and with enormous kindness. So a friend, when a friend is down, don't announce it to the world. You don't try to ruin his or her reputation, but instead you touch with tenderness and you restore with gentleness. Listen to 2 Timothy 2.25. Paul, the older believer, mentoring Timothy, a young pastor, correcting his opponents, how are they supposed to do it? With gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Romans 2.4 says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Now, I don't know about you, so I won't confess for you. I'll just confess for me. I don't always get this one right. There are times I want to restore someone, but there are other times I end up more judgmental than gentle. The Apostle Paul struggled with that as well. 1 Corinthians 4.21, he asks a question to a church that had a lot of issues. He says, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? If we don't allow ourselves to feel the pain of people's sin and approach people with tears in our eyes, we either do not love the sinner sufficiently or we don't hate the sin enough. Let me just level with you. This is so difficult. Here's why. Because our default setting is to get angry and judgmental with those who sin differently than we do on top of that we often get really upset with those who sin in the same way that we sin the last part of verse one is a rebuke to our self-righteousness keep watch on yourself why lest you too be tempted that phrase keep watch refers to taking aim it's the idea of spying on yourself So gentleness is born out of our own weakness and wandering hearts. When we see someone else slipping into sin, we should pause and ask the Lord to keep us safe from the sins that slip us up. James 3.2 says we all stumble in what? Many ways. 1 John 1.8 declares we all struggle with sin. If we say we have no sin, comma We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Because we're easily deceived, it's easy to think that somehow we're impervious to sin. Now, it's difficult to know how to respond when a brother or sister falls. Restoration, it's delicate work, but it's not for those who feel spiritually superior it's a daunting responsibility and it is very messy we show we care when we bear one another's burdens
0: brothers and sisters if we are not actively looking for ways to bring back those who are spiritually sidetracked how will they get back on their feet who does god want to restore through you is there anyone you can think of right now who is going down the slippery path of sin have you fallen and don't know how to get up have you crossed the line and find yourself flat on your face? Do you want to be free from your burdens? I have some really good news for you. Listen to these words from Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light." Are you tired of laboring to find purpose and meaning in life? Are you finally ready to repent of your sins which have weighed you down and created distance between you and God? Jesus offers you rest, but you must come to Him to be reborn. If you are weary and burdened, you qualify for Christ to save you. In the place of your heavy burden, His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Surrender to Him right now and ask Him to save you from your sins. Thanks for joining us for On Mission. If you'd like to hear more sermons like this one or want to learn more about the ministry of Edgewood, go to edgewoodbaptist.net or download our free mobile app on the Apple App Store or Google Play by searching for Edgewood QC. We'd love to have you as a guest at one of our three weekend services, Saturday at 5 or Sunday at 9 or 1045. My name is Matt Williams and I'm a member of Edgewood. Ethan Curry, also an Edgewood member, is serving as the producer of this program. We look forward to connecting with you again next weekend as we learn more about how to live On Mission. Until then, go deep in God's Word and keep applying it to your world. On Mission is furnished by Edgewood Baptist in Rock Island, Illinois.